Uh, well, welcome to the uh, DC Yoga Podcast. My name is Chris Parkinson. I'm your host for the next hour. And we're here today with uh, Abby Dobbs, uh, yogi and uh, owner of Cali Yoga in Columbia Heights. Uh, Abby first started practicing yoga at the age of 15 when she was brought to her first class by her mother. After dabbling for years, Abby found herself feeling more and more at home when she was surrounded by others who, like herself, wanted to grow, learn, and transform. Abby's first yoga teacher training was with Forest Yoga, the style that truly sparked her spirit and gave her the tools to become the person that she is today. Since then, Abby has become a practicing massage therapist, an energy worker, and has continued her exploration of yoga through trainings across different styles. Originally from the DC metro area, Abby has been a member of the DC yoga community for over a decade. After teaching yoga and doing body work around the city, five years ago, Abby felt called to create her own community and started Cali Yoga Studio in Columbia Heights. Since then, Abby has been blessed to watch this amazing community of teachers and students grow together. As a teacher, Abby wants to give her students the tools and knowledge they need to make mindful choices and act intentionally. Her teaching style is deeply inspired by moment-to-moment inquiry. Abby's intention is to create a space where students feel informed and educated, as well as supported to practice their own individual yoga. Abby loves to challenge her students to be present with each moment and to compassionately show up for themselves. So, with that lovely introduction, Mm. welcome, Abby. Thank you, Chris. So happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Um, so we were talking earlier before we came on air about the the first yoga class that you had that you had uh, gone to with your mom, and you said that that maybe you hadn't had so much recollection of that one in particular, but you did remember the kind of the first time yoga was like that aha moment that we all have when we when we have a, your first yoga class. Yes, uh, I actually went to my first ever yoga class with my mom at Unity Woods in Bethesda. Ah. So started really as an Iyengar practitioner, which is pretty funny, uh, though, because I was 15 and maybe I was, you know, probably just an angsty teenager. I don't have much recollection of it. The first time I really was blown away by yoga was uh, in Boston, where I went to college. I was brought by my then roommate to what was then called Back Bay Yoga Studio and is now called Yoga Works Back Bay. And I took class with a guy named David Vendeni, who now owns South Boston Yoga. And I just, I don't even remember the class, but I remember going home afterwards, laying in my bed and crying hysterically for 45 minutes for no reason whatsoever. And I remember him saying during the class, David saying that, you know, sometimes when you do pigeon pose, which obviously we did first yoga class ever, you might like move some energy. And I was like, you know, (laughs) totally didn't believe it. Went home, cried hysterically. No reason why. Didn't understand. It wasn't linked to anything. It was my first real experience of having something shift in my life that I couldn't really understand. And it really opened my eyes to this feeling body, this feeling nature, this emotional and energetic nature that was so beyond my sort of upbringing of being sort of a logically minded neurotic Jewish person. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that was it for me. I started going once a week to twice a week, immediately almost within a month was going every single day and just totally got wrapped up and fell in love with the entire community. That's a that's fantastic. Did you so let me ask you this. When mm-hmm. you're was your mom like did she always practice yoga? Was she like uh you know, when you were growing up, was it like 
hey, Abby, I'm going to yoga today. No, and like, I actually went with her. This was also her first ever yoga class. Ah, she was a hippie. I see. Um, she, you know, flowered her her uh, her brother's car. You know, she was born in the early 50s and was in the hippie movement and, like, you know, went to the concerts and all the stuff. Um, so she was always really on board with all that stuff. And I think she had heard about yoga and was really interested in it. And she actually brought myself and my older sister. The three of us used to go together. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was really special. That's really cool. So yeah. um, when you were when you were taking classes in Boston, like, was there a specific style or was it just like, I mean, you don't have to say what <laughs> year this was if you don't want. Yeah, but. no, it's fine. <laughs> uh, this was around 2000, maybe six, something mm-hmm. in there. Um, and this was when forced yoga was really the thing in Boston. Um, I was starting at this yoga studio and forest yoga had this like reputation. I don't know if you've ever been at a studio where it's like, you know, that like one teacher or one style is like the really hard stuff. And so you have to like, you're like, I'm going to go to like the beginners classes and then the vinyasa classes. And then like, maybe like once I've been doing yoga for a while, I'll like go to forest because that's what all the badasses do. And that was sort of like the, the vibe at the studio. And so uh, it took me about a month to to get the to level up. Yeah, exactly. To level <laughs> up and to be like, okay, I'm gonna go to my first ever forest yoga class, and that was it for me, pretty much. Um, forest yoga is just so special. Uh, I still to this day teach it and practice it. I actually was just looking at my Facebook, and you know, on this day, mm-hmm. ten years ago today, I was in my like third day of forest yoga teacher training. Wow, so this is my that. ten year anniversary of teaching forest yoga. That's yeah. awesome. Um, I was really lucky enough to find forest yoga as my first style. Really, that called to me, um, and I almost immediately went into teacher training and have been teaching it and practicing it ever since. So you did you did the, the teacher training when you were in college or just after college? Right after right college. After college. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And so for people who don't know, give us a little background on like forest yoga, because it because those you know teachers in mm-hmm. D.C., we know what it is, but maybe some people out there are not sure. Yeah. So forest yoga is a style of yoga created by a woman named Anna Forrest. It's been in existence for about 40 years, I would say. Um, and the whole idea behind forest yoga is really that it's a healing practice for people with modern day issues right people who sit all day long who have back pain and hip pain because or neck pain because they look at a desk all day Um, and it's really a style of yoga formatted to sort of therapeutically work with the body in that way Um, so first off like it makes my body feel so good when I practice forest yoga whereas some other styles I'm sort of naturally achy Um, some other styles I practice and I don't feel good afterwards so forest I can always really trust that at least I know that I'm going to be taken care of and I love that about the practice Uh, secondarily and, and more importantly what I would say that the thing that truly calls me to forest yoga is the intention Uh, Every single forest yoga class has an intention that is layered on top of the asana. And so uh, if anybody here has taken my class or taken any classes with people that I've trained, that's the thing that really sets forest yoga and my particular style apart is that there's always going to be sort of a a theme for the class. And that might be something energetic or emotional or a physical thing, but it's something that you're focusing your intention on. You know, in yoga, we call it ekka grata, right? One pointed focus, something that, that brings your energy in, in addition to simply focusing on the the body or the breath, Mm -hmm. Uh, the same way that in like the Ashtanga practice there, there's the Tristana breath, Banda Drishti, same kind of thing, but in a forest class it's going to more or less be different most times. And the other thing that kind of, well, that always interested me about forest yoga is 
uh, it comes from right, her studio is in New Mexico, right? Is that right? So Anna was originally she had a studio in LA actually. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. But and but so where did she get the? So there's a sort of a shamanistic like mm-hmm. side to forest yoga that people who take you know people who take this class are sort of like where does this come from? Yeah. Like, how is this like yoga? Yeah. There know? is definitely some um, Native American cultural stuff sort of woven in. We do chanting with the frame drum. We also do calling in the four directions. Uh, some other sort of themes that um, Anna learned from the time that she was studying with Native American people. So she, um, I don't know about grew up on a reservation, but she she has a lot of training and experience living with and, and experiencing sort of these Native American cultural things and different experiences. And she's woven together some of the ceremony into the, the style, um, which is really very heartfelt and meaningful. And it, it connects you to, I mean, the word that she uses is spirit, um, but it could be whatever you want to call it, you know, soul, your true self, your purusha, something that helps to connect you to that, which is bigger than yourself. And I love that about forest yoga. Yeah, I do too. I think when I first sort of heard about it, there was this gut reaction that was like, all right, well, like, this isn't from India. Like, how is this yoga? And then, you know, kind of like the more I thought about it, the more, like, I came to this place where uh, the flexibility of yoga has always been one of its greatest assets. Um, and that even in India, yoga in the south of India is very different than as practiced in the north of India, Absolutely. in the middle of India. And what they all have sort of in common is that they're they're all tailored to the location where they are. And so mm. from my point of view, like bringing in that side where Anna has her studio from her like experience, mm-hmm. it's sort of the definition of yoga. Absolutely. Like tailoring the experience for the area or region where you are mm-hmm. um, and then teaching sort of the fundamentals of mindfulness and meditation and you know, breathing and stuff. And so all of that, like, you know, you couldn't get more yoga than that. So I, I kind of I kind of really love that about it. Oh, thank you. I agree. I do. Um I, I also struggle a little bit with lineage. I think this is a conversation that we've had before, and I know that you've had with many people and me too as well. Uh, and lineage is a really interesting conversation in yoga because if you look at Anna's lineage in particular, she studied with everybody. She studied with BKS Anger. She studied with Patabi Joyce. She studied with um, a bunch of other teachers sort of around the United States as well as in India. And then she just pretty much took whatever worked for her made a bunch of other stuff up and was like, here, this is what I'm doing. Um, and, and that's, and that's what exactly what all of those teachers did too. You know, exactly. <laughs> right. So it's very interesting because while yes, it's important to have a lineage, it's also important to honor yourself. And I think that's one of the things that I love about Anna and really respect about her is that she pretty much has just told everybody else to fuck off and that she knows what her truth is. This is what my body needs. This is what my practice should look like. And you can go fuck off pretty much. Um, And the way that she teaches gives space for that, right? And I think that's one of the things I've taken the most from forest yoga is that there is no right way to do a pose. There's no right way that it should be looking, right? It's really about how it feels, one of the things that Anna says, she has two ones that I'll speak to that I love. One of the things she says is like, if you're in a pose and you're doing the stuff, she'll be like, is this actually working? Right. right? And like, whoa, like talk about humbling. It's well, like, like but, so in a, but in a really like scientific way, right? Yeah. Instead of, you know, instead of like trying to put yourself into 
like the conclusion, like letting yourself have the experience and then form the conclusion. Exactly. Right? Like the thing that you're doing right now, is it working? Because you'll get a pretty clear answer because oftentimes, especially in such a strong style and the same thing for any other style of yoga that's very physical, rocket, ashtanga, uh, prana flow, where you're just kind of like moving and challenging yourself is like, Anna really talks a lot about not struggling, right? Is it working? Are you doing the right amount of effort? Are you putting forth enough energy versus too much? Um, are you feeding yourself or are you diminishing yourself through your practice? Right. Or, or as I like to say, sometimes my classes, um, are you adding more stress to yourself in this class? <laughs> Hallelujah. That's right? a couple. I mean... Yeah, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> and, you know, I think that especially in D.C. where people are so, um, so intense, so type A, everyone has is working really hard and wants to work really hard that this practice of yoga, whatever the style is, hopefully can be something that people use to get, find more peace rather than more stress. And yeah, Forest exactly. Yoga helped me to do that. So let's go back to when you went to teacher training. You're a, yes. you're a young lady just graduated from college and yes. you, you go off to, and you went and studied with Anna. Mm-hmm. And how, what was that? Was it like a, it was like a six week intensive, a two month intensive? Like what it was, was it all It was 24 about? days. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. Um, the Forest Foundation training is a is a fucking wild ride. Yeah. It's 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., 24 days straight, morning practice, morning meditation, afternoon practice. You're doing four or five hours of yoga a day for a month straight, pretty much. So, like, first of all, I got jacked. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Um, but it's such an intense, immersive experience. Um and I have people ask me a lot, sort of, what are the pros and cons of taking an extended format teacher training versus taking a condensed? And I've done both um, bo- as a uh, as a student. And the intensive is, whew, it's really interesting. It's incredibly challenging. It's exhausting. Um, but one of the things I loved about it was the deep immersion, the deep work that comes up because you're just slogging through it the whole fucking time. You cannot possibly fake yourself out, right? <laughs> and also just that, for me at least, one of the benefits that I got from that training was that I was so energetically focused on doing this thing. I was tired. I was sleeping and eating and not doing anything else. So it really gave me um, the experience of what it's like to be forced into setting boundaries that work for myself. And then being able to do it in that experience actually carried over to the rest of my life. And it was like, wow, this is what it feels like to be depleted. Okay. Like how, here's how I set boundaries. And so like what you got out of that training and you were, you were like, that's it. I just, I got to take the, I got to teach this shit the rest of my life. Or was it, or was it? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did not intend to become a yoga teacher when I did the training. What were you going to do? (laughs) I actually was, um, in a year off after undergrad and was planning on taking a year sabbatical to just hang out and do yoga and then go and apply to grad school. Um, I already had professors lined up to study the ecology of corals and then get my PhD in the molecular Ooh. biology of corals. So I was actually a scientist, a m- marine biologist when I was in college. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was so fun. So fun. A later in life's pursuit maybe for you at this point. Uh, yes. I mean, I still I think love... that would be amazing <laughs> just to study corals and like scuba dive all the time i know i kind of have a little (laughs) little bit of a a desire to actually run yoga retreats yoga and scuba which i think would be super fun um but yeah i just i got out of the training i had my vision was clarified right i felt so clear as to what my intention was and Previous to the training, I had been working as a lab tech uh, at a science lab with one of the professors that I had been working with. And I just, 
I don't know. I sort of had this aha moment after training where I was like, wow, everyone that I work with at the lab is tired, has no time for themselves, has no time for their families, travels a lot, works 60, 70 hours a week, and they're not happy. And I go to my yoga studio and people are joyful. It doesn't matter who they are, how old they are. I didn't even know what anybody did who I worked with or practiced with, Mm -hmm. but we just connected. And that sort of that feeling of going into a space and like everything else doesn't matter. Everyone's here simply just because they want to use the practice of yoga to be happier or more peaceful or more fit or whatever the reason is. It doesn't really matter what your intention is, right? Like the yoga works. That's mm-hmm. one of the reasons it's so freaking awesome. And so I just went into training and then went back to work and was like, can't do this anymore. Need to be, I have to be surrounded by people who are in alignment with what I'm in alignment with. And so were you, you were still living in Boston at this point or were you back in DC? Yeah, I was still living in Boston. So do you remember like the, like how was your, how did you approach getting a yoga position? Well, I actually, I was, I was fortunate enough to pretty much jump in right away. I was, I started as a work study at Back Bay Yoga Studio pretty much within a month of practicing there. I was like, I need this shit for free because I can't afford it because I was a student. And so I started as a work study. And then during my year off, when I did the Forest Yoga Foundation training, I was a manager for the yoga studio. And so I already had sort of a shoe and I immediately started teaching as soon as I um, completed the training. I was fortunate enough to be able to do an assistantship program with the owner of the studio, who is also a forest teacher. Her name's Lynn. Uh, so I did a three month assistantship, which is something I think if you're a new yoga teacher, like do it, find somebody who will let you assist them. And that went along the lines of every morning. I assisted one class a week. I showed up two hours ahead of time of the class. We did a practice together. And then every single time I would assist the class and then teach a community class afterwards. So it was a full day. That's fantastic training right there. Oh, my God. It was amazing. It was amazing. I feel really, really blessed to have been uh, able to do that. And so I did the assistantship. I started teaching. And then I was connected with some other people who gave me a teaching job at another studio. And I just jumped right in. I was pretty much immediately teaching five classes a week as soon as I finished training. And you were teaching the forest style or was mm-hmm. it? Yeah, there, teaching forest. And was there like a, when you learned it, was there like a set sequence that she taught or if she was just teaching the postures like set one by one and then you were mm-hmm. putting them together yourself? Was there? A- yeah, more of the second. Um, forest yoga is kind of an interesting style because each class has an apex pose versus something like sort of like a normal vinyasa or an ashtanga or a rocket um, usually is like a well-rounded class where you'll do a little bit of everything you'll back bend you'll forward fold you'll do hips you'll do shoulders forest is really about going like deeply into one particular area to aim in a particular kind of opening or a particular kind of strength Um, And that's one of the things I love about Forest is that it teaches you how to safely, creatively, and sort of authentically in your body create a sequence that'll get you into whatever pose you're interested in getting into that day. Um, And so I actually remember the first class I ever taught was Apexing an Ekapada Galavasana. Wow, lay it on me. (laughs) Ekapada Galavasana. Yes. One-legged flying crow pose. Yeah. The figure four arm balance. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great pose. Yes, it is. I agree. It's fantastic. It's a hip opener and mm-hmm. an arm balance. Ta-da. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. So when you were, and then, so when you were um, teaching in Boston, mm-hmm. when did you do the massage therapy training? <laughs> okay. So I, let's see. I because, here's, because here's the thing, like I always tell yoga students if they want to become full-time teachers is that you can't teach only yoga 
full time. Agreed. You go, you go absolutely crazy. You will and burn out and, you'll and burn get out. sick. And even if you teach, say, 20, 20 classes a week, you're still probably not going to make nearly enough to live in a place like Washington, D.C. or New York or L.A., wherever. Absolutely. Um, you need to have a side gig. And yes. So, yes. Yeah. So originally my side gig for teaching yoga was managing the studio. Um, let's see. So I lived in Boston. I actually had to move back here. So I'm from here originally. I moved back here because my mom got sick. And then after my mom passed, I was here for about a year managing a yoga studio, working and teaching. And then I moved to Philly for a boy. <laughs> I know. Uh, and I actually went to massage school. Let's, let's just let's just let's just pause here for a moment and say <laughs> That that I did not make a face there. That that Abby did the all on her own. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, that's how I feel about it, at least. <laughs> that was silly. Um, but on the plus side, I was able to go to a really wonderful locally owned, owned and managed and run by massage therapist massage school in Philadelphia, which actually doesn't exist anymore, um, called the Philadelphia School of Massage. And that was a year-long program that I did when I was in Philly. Uh, I was also teaching yoga while I was there at a couple other studios, teaching forest, also vinyasa, uh, because at that point I had already done also a yoga works 200-hour training. And then after that, when I broke up with said boy, mm -hmm. I say boy on purpose, not man. My husband is a man. This was definitely not that. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. And so I moved back here and that's, and then I started teaching here all over the place and doing body work. That's great. Yeah. How, and so you did the yoga works 200 hour teacher training. Was there, have, what other trainings have you done? So I've done the forest and the yoga works 200 hour. I've done the forest yoga advanced teacher training and also the forest yoga continuing education training. That's a nine day and a five day. I've also done the 50-hour rocket training two times. I've also done a number of additional bodywork and yoga trainings. So something called Yoga Body Worker, which is run by my two mentors, Jumbo and Brian. Uh, I've hosted them at my studio. So I've done a 10-day Yoga Body Worker, 5-day Yoga Body Worker. Also done some yin training, some sort of smaller trainings. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's fantastic. So you've, you've yeah. kind of continually... Um, see yourself as a student, not just like Hell as a teacher. Oh yes, imperative. Yeah. And I'm actually, it's it's interesting. I don't know if other teachers feel this, but you'll have to tell me if you agree. But I personally find that I feel much more comfortable in the role as a teacher than I do as a student. And so I actually find it challenging to take trainings with other teachers because I have a little bit of a hard time stepping out of boss role. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. No, I I. I don't have, uh, myself, I don't really have a, uh, an issue with that. I like being the student, um, especially for me because, like yourself, I tend to be sort of like a neurotic person just in general. <laughs> um, and I can't turn my brain off. So I really do like being in a situation where I can just um, bring in the information that I'm being told. Receive. By, yeah, receive. Uh, and then do and then process that in my body mm -hmm. uh, in a way where I don't have to think about the next step. Yeah. I, and that's the that's the neurotic part is you're always thinking about what's the next step, what's the next step, what's right. the next step, right? right? So I like being able to get in that mindset. I will pause here for a moment and say that <laughs> when the teacher, and this can happen, there's, look, you can learn from everybody, right? Absolutely. And, and there there is no such thing, I mean, we can agree here probably, as a bad yoga class. No. Right? You can I always I completely agree. Um, but when a teacher, when there are some times, though, when the teacher says some things and it just doesn't compute, and then I sort of then all of a sudden, like, I lapse back into yoga teacher mode, and I'm like, yeah. fuck, 
like, I don't agree with that. She's <laughs> saying like <laughs> sometimes one of one of the wisest things that one of my teachers ever told me is that sometimes what you learn from a teacher is what not to do. Yeah. Exactly. And that's a learning experience as well. Exactly. And it yeah. reinforces oh, and it reinforces what you know you've learned. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, that's why I don't do it that way. Exactly. Exactly. Good to experience that too. Yeah, yeah it totally is. Yeah. Um and so when did you when did you first decide like, okay. I love this teaching thing, but what I really want to do is own a yoga studio. I had been back in D.C. for about a year. I was working five different jobs. So I was working. Five. Yeah. I was working. on me. Which jobs? <laughs> so I was working as a massage therapist at a wonderful little place called Pico, which mm-hmm. is an acupuncture place, body work, et cetera. The owner is a wonderful, wonderful human who I like. She's I just adore her. And so that was actually really wonderful. But um, as you said, it's really hard to be a yoga teacher. You got to have a side hustle. And so I was teaching at four other yoga studios all across the city. And so me and my bike were just schlepping my ass around all over the place, multiple places a day. And within a year of that, I mean, I, I had a day off. I let me put this out there. If you're a yoga teacher, if you're a human, you must have a day off. And I even had a day off and I was getting really burnt out just from all the travel and the schlepping and the bringing stuff and the multiple jobs and keeping track of everything. And I was also feeling disconnected. Um, I'm a pretty weird person. I'm, I'm pretty nerdy and pretty out there. And I like to really uh, speak my truth. And what I found is that at some of the studios, I just wasn't really a good fit. Um, I really had a hard time finding a space that I felt comfortable in, that I felt like I was really part of the community, that I felt truly valued as a teacher. And it just sort of got to me over time. I I felt sort of like I was drifting, you know, Um, and that was and that sort of all came to a head all at once where I was like, I'm burnt out. I'm exhausted. I can't do this much body work. I can't be teaching at this many places. And then, of course, you're like naturally. I'm going to do the hardest thing imaginable and open up a yoga studio. Yeah, totally. I know. (laughs) Retrospectively, I'm kind of like, what the fuck? Um, But it just sort of happened that at this exact moment in my life where I was like, this is not going to work anymore. I need to do something different. One of my dear friends, who's also a yoga teacher, I don't know if you ever knew Ayelet Krieger. She's, I mean, she's, I, I heard a lot. I yeah, obviously know of her. Yeah. She's wonderful. She introduced me and it got me teaching at what was then called Quiet Mind Yoga. And I found out that the owner was pregnant and was moving with her family and was trying to get rid of the studio. And so, like, the universe just sort of presented me uh. this thing on a platter. And I was like, well, shit. Okay, here we go. And I just sort of rallied and I got alone and got my act together and just went for it. Yeah, adulting. Yeah, hardcore adulting. Getting a loan is real adulting. <laughs> yeah, business loan. Yeah. yeah. That's great. And so, yeah. so yeah, and um, those of you who haven't been there, you should definitely go check it out. Cali Yoga is a wonderful place to go. Um, I love the community you've, you've managed to, to help build there. Thank uh, you. Yeah, it's fantastic. I don't, it, you know, it's funny, you were talking earlier about sort of the type A's like in D.C. and the t- type of yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I take a class at Cali, I'm sort of, what I really love about it is that I, I don't feel like it's a place where type A's are congregating, even though they may actually be type A's. You hit the nail on the head they, there. They don't seem to, to be letting that type A mindset overwhelm them in their yoga yeah. practice there. Yeah, thank you for saying that. That is, that's been one of my really primary intentions um, in all of this thing, creating this studio space and hiring teachers in 
um, the way that I manage my teachers and my students and the way that I teach and the way I teach my teachers and all that stuff is really about creating a space where people can back out of that, where they don't need to be the best. They don't need to have expectations about what their practice should be or should look like. Um, and those expectations oftentimes more come from our own expectations of what we should do versus the external expectations about what the teacher should do or what other people are going to judge us for, right? But all of those kinds of expectations, internal or external, I've made a really, really strong effort to try and help people step away from that so that they feel like they can actually practice from their moment-to-moment -moment experience. That's my intention, is that a practice can be challenging and it can be really fucking hard, both physically and energetically, but you always get to make the choice, right? Um, Donna Farhi likes to say that teaching should be, and he's smiling at me. I love Donna Farhi. No, so, I'm so pleased talk about Donna Farhi yeah. because, because Julia, who was here on our first episode, she loves Donna Farhi too. Oh, good. So, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. yeah, Donna Farhi wrote a really, really cool book called Teaching Yoga. And one of the, the primary things that she talks about in there is using yoga teaching as a way to help people have an internal perspective rather than an external perspective, that everyone should practice yoga from their own internal experience rather than anything else. And I love her languaging around that because that's something I've always really tried to do. Um, but thinking about it that way, framing it that way makes it really clear, right? Like you are you, I am me, my body is this today. Therefore that's how I'm going to practice, right? And giving people the space and the permission to not have to have permission, right? A lot of studios, I feel like, uh, even I go to and I practice, I feel like I need permission to do certain things in my body or that I have to do what the teacher says or that if I don't, I feel shamed or I feel like I suck or I feel like I have to be an asshole in order to do my own practice. And that's not how it should be, right? I think the practice really should be each person doing whatever is right for them within the group setting, feeling safe and supported to, to just be themselves. Um, that being said, I mean, I still t like to teach a kick-ass class. Yeah, and so it's a really, really fun balance of getting people to the space where they trust themselves. Yeah, I think one of the... Um, one of the things sometimes people can be confused about uh, in going to a yoga studio is the difference between uh, going someplace and expecting something in return, i.e., I'm paying for this yoga class, and then you have to give me something, right? Mm. So this transactional view of yoga classes, whereas from what, what you've just said and what I believe, you know, and I totally agree with you, what you've just said is, you you are paying to get to go to a yoga class for a place where you can discover you're on your own certain things. Absolutely. Rather than a place where I need to get something from you to feel like I'm doing something. Right. I, so because yoga for me anyway is all about uh it's all about internal work. I know mm -hmm. it's for you. The hard work happens internally that Absolutely. you do on your own. Mm -hmm. The teacher, in a way, is a guide and offers suggestions. Mm -hmm. And it's up to you to take those suggestions, use them. If they work, cool. If they don't work, discard them. Mm -hmm. And I think so also often people think that the teacher is just telling you what to do. And that the teacher isn't good if they haven't given you like a class with a thousand push-ups because you're not being told what to do. 
Right. And so from my point of view, if you go into a class just looking to be told what to do, all you're doing is just totally giving up all responsibility for yourself and your body and your emotions. I agree. Right? So, And I wouldn't call that yoga. I would call that some sort of BDSM. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, <But>. All right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know? a lot of people, it's a really interesting challenge because many people come to any kind of, you know, I'll say this in quotes, fitness class because they want to not have to think and they want someone to hold space for them. Right. Um, And one of the things that I teach my teacher trainees that I try and inform my students of as well is that what I'm really trying to do is to get you to be able to hold space for yourself. Right. Right. Like when you're in a yoga class and it's silent, like, do you immediately spiral or can you stay present with what you're supposed to be doing? That's the ability to, to hold space for yourself, right? And that ability to sort of harness your life force and your willpower and really focus is, I think, one of the biggest gifts that your yoga practice can give you. And a good yoga teacher can help you to feel that without having to either go on a power trip or fill the silence because they're uncomfortable, right? right? And it's very interesting because not only in that way are we empowering our students to actually feel supported and also strong and powerful within themselves, empowered is a good word that I would say, but also when you're a yoga teacher and you're telling everybody what to do, you're taking all of that energy on, all of that responsibility on, and that's exhausting. And this is one of the reasons why yoga teachers, in my opinion, get burnt out so easily is because they go in and expect have expectations about what the class is supposed to be. And as a yoga teacher, if you have expectations about your students and what they're supposed to be able to do, you are doing your servant, your, a, a disservice to your students. Well, yeah, because what you're doing is you're just projecting. Exactly, exactly. Right. right. It's really about filter exactly what you said, exactly what you said, which is that yoga really should be, here's some information, you filter it through your personal experience your personal dialogue your personal inquiry and then you make a choice right that's the yoga is you have to be the one to make a choice so let me let me backtrack just a moment here when you were teaching at the different studios before you opened cali mm-hmm. did you did you see did you think there was or can we make any generalizations about the all of the studios combined in other words was there a sort of sense like or, or let's even just say this was there a difference between the yoga, the asana practice they were doing in Boston and the asana practice they're doing here in DC? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Tell me. Um, Boston, Boston has a very interesting yoga scene. Okay. Admittedly, I haven't been there for over five years, but when I was practicing yoga in Boston, um, the yoga was, and I'm hoping still is very, very high quality. So always bringing in lots of um, international and national master teachers people who were teaching the real yoga. And what I mean by that, I don't mean to sound like an asshole, but what I mean by that is that um, I'm going to steal a Michael Joel Hallism. I think you're going to have him as a guest later. But oh, what, boy. Yeah. You're going to have enough Michael later. Yeah, I know. Well, so, so <laughs> I know, seriously, right? <laughs> One of the things that Michael says is that yoga is already a thing. Yoga is defined, right? There, We can call anything yoga, but at the end of the day, if you're practicing real yoga, yoga already is defined. It's already explained on how to do it. It's a thing. You can't make it anything that it's not because it already has a definition and a particular set of things that it is, which um, for me is kind of interesting and helpful to think mm-hmm. about. And so what I found in Boston is that people were 
and are hopefully still teaching and practicing real yoga. So the eight limbs, right? Not just asana, but also talking about breath and talking about energy and talking about lifestyle, right? And that would be teachers actually teaching that in the class, in the yes. classroom. Yes. And, and yeah, I would say so. When I moved to DC, I had a hard time finding yoga that was also philosophical and spiritual and some people are not looking for yoga that is philosophical and spiritual but yoga is philosophical and spiritual that's what it is so true yoga is going to have some sort of incorporation of some sort of spirituality or some discussion of the yoga philosophy or the ethics or whatever and I personally found that I couldn't find that in DC I had a really hard time finding it in DC because it was just all chaturangas yeah, and, and I think also just sort of catering to the D.C. people where classes are an hour long because people are in a hurry and they don't have time. You can't do much in an hour. I personally would always teach a 90-minute class if I could, and I'm sure a lot. He's nodding, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and also just not much discussion about giving options, giving traumas for students, not much space for students to make their own choices. Um, a lot of very sort of dictatorial teaching. And this was, you know, five years ago, and I, I haven't been out in the yoga scene in five years because I've been sort of in my own little hole. But a big part of the reason that I started my studio was sort of in response to this feeling of disconnection from the community, that the way that I was teaching yoga that I learned in Boston was just very different from what other people were doing and that I would go into different spaces and feel like nobody got what I was doing or was really interested in what I was doing. And so I was like, well, fuck it. I guess I'm going to start my own thing and see if I can create a space where people are on the same page as me. Yeah. And that's what let's, I've done. Let's just let's just again pause here for a moment because. Um, you may hear this a lot if you're listening to the DC Yoga podcast on a weekly basis of this sort of discussion between, um, you know, purely doing asana practice and incorporating spiritual and psychological and um, philosophical elements in the class, which people like Abby and, and me and, and Julia, like we really believe in, in doing in our classes and Jess. Um, don't get us wrong. We love like a kick-ass yoga class oh hell yeah kick my ass anytime like, dripping sweat like we love doing arm balances and handstands and chaturangas and like we we love doing that stuff so please don't think that we're like we're like harping on this because we we don't think that like those aren't yoga we're just harping on it maybe because there's an overabundance of that in, it's in just the DC too focused on a little too much and it's the same thing yeah. sort of across the the country and across the world this sort of like visualization almost of yoga that like yoga is cool shapes and yoga is handstand and putting your foot behind your head and all this crap. And it's like, yes, but also no. Um, or, that, or that, or that first, or that, or that maybe the, the, um, the, the judgment or you're good at yoga when you can do a crow pose oh, or you're good grr. at yoga when you can do a handstand. Like, no, like, like that is like somehow like, you know, you're, you're then like, yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and it, I'll say two things to that. The first of which is that asana, like the, the postures are yoga. Right. And the cool thing about yoga is that it works. Right. So mm -hmm. you practice asana and, whole, and even if it's in a class where there's literally no conversation around breath or, the bandhas or any of the philosophy or the spirituality, if you practice the asana enough, it will still help you. That's the amazing thing is yoga will work because it's been designed to do that. But additionally, there's so much more. Sure. If you're, if you do, if you do yoga for six months straight, 
you'll have looser hamstrings. <laughs> yes, the you question is, will. do you still feel empty inside? Yeah. Or are you being or are you learning how to like fill yourself with love and joy? Absolutely. Right? Because that's the good shit in yoga. Yeah. Right? The handstand's great. Yeah. But fun. the really good shit is when you get to really be comfortable in your own skin and you really get to love like yourself and then by extension everybody around you. Yeah, yes. Thank you for saying that. I completely agree. And I you know it's interesting. One of the I, I think this should be asked for every yoga teacher in the entire world. So if you're a yoga teacher and you don't have an answer to this question, you need to assess your shit. But and I didn't get asked this question until a couple of years ago, but it was it's why are you teaching yoga? And what I realized is that and which is the same question as why are you practicing yoga? Right. Everything needs to have a reason behind it. It doesn't really matter what you do, but why are you doing it? And for me, the reason that I teach and the reason that I practice is about feeling peaceful. Yeah, That's contentment, it. right? Yeah, santosha, right? Like, Who doesn't want contentment? Yeah, and, and the thing is, is that I think some people don't realize that they are, the way they're acting is leading them away from that, myself included. I mean, 10 years of practicing in a way that was increasing my suffering until I realized, I just sort of had a moment where I was like, oh, like, this isn't working. Nothing's changing. And then I realized that my, my true reason for showing up, the reason I love this practice so much and the reason I keep coming back to it and I will always teach yoga is simply because it does help me feel more peaceful. And if I can have one person in one class ever walk away feeling a little bit more joyful, loving, accepting and at peace, like that's the thing. Yeah, that's a win. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So why do you, so let me ask you this. How many in your, you've been how uh, how long in the DC yoga scene at this point? Eight about years? about yeah, I mean eight or nine years. Yeah, the studio's been open for five. I've been around for about nine. Yeah. Do you see like a lot of changes during that time, or? Yeah, definitely. Um, when I'm, I again, I'm from here originally, but when I moved back here officially since that time, which was about, oh God, maybe six or seven years ago when I was really here full time, uh, the number of studios that have opened in that about six, seven years is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, and it also, almost every studio has now their own teacher training also, which is a new thing. Um, that yeah. didn't used to be a thing in the yoga scene. There were like some teachers that offer teacher trainings and it was a rare thing and now there's tons of studios and tons of trainings which is a little different than what it used to be yeah yeah, yeah. so go ahead keep talking go ahead, I, know, okay. I know i know you want to talk <laughs> about this look. <laughs> um well, like, let's put let's put let's start with this yes like, every or at least from from my own uh point of view i think the reason why a lot of yoga studios financially offer the teacher training yeah. because they that's a, an essential source of income absolutely right so there's you know you, you have to mm -hmm. you have to make ends meet yes we'd rather have studios be open than closed totally and what i will say first and foremost is that i really truly and i know i've gotten into trouble i've gotten into fights on facebook about this but i really truly believe that if it's yoga it's good right like there's no such thing as too much yoga. There's no such thing as too many yoga teachers, right? Like right. there's it, it, more yoga is always going to be better. <laughs> right? Right. Like I am all on board for the more yoga, the better. Um, what I have found is that 
we've sort of priced ourselves out in this way, right? My studio, since I opened, there have been three studios that have opened up within walking distance of my studio. Um, and that's hard, right? That's yeah. really rough. It's made it incredibly challenging to make a good living. Um, and I do think that as a yoga studio owner and as sort of person who's just been in this business for quite a long time, I, you know, you can't really come into this business expecting to make very much money at all. Um, but you do have to, to work hard if you want to make money, which is one of the reasons having a side gig is so key. Um, running teacher trainings, definitely a big way to make money. The main and again, I don't think that having teacher trainings is a problem. I think the more people who learn more about yoga, the better. I think the issue comes in when people are leading teacher trainings who are not, who haven't been teaching for, for maybe enough time. I think that in order to both lead a teacher training and also to take a teacher training, there needs to be a certain level, sort of like almost like a threshold level of amount of practice, years of practice, depth of practice so that the training itself has a depth to it right mm -hmm. um, and that's sort of my main qualm is that I know a bunch of studios that run trainings because it's one of their main ways of making income which I can't blame them I'm struggling as a business owner it's hard to make money um, but I think that it's really really important to have trainings that have very very high quality and also lots of integrity um, that's my that's that's my piece about it. I think that's great. Yeah. And this is a bit of a weird thing to say and sounds kind of <laughs> terrible, but I actually never wanted to run a teacher training. I've never felt called to do it. It's not something I'm particularly um, interested in doing, but I felt called to do it because as a studio owner, everyone who applied to teach in my studio, I didn't want to hire. Yeah. I so could you're I, using it as like a recruitment tool. Yeah, because yeah. most of the trainings, at least around the area, I'm not going to hire anybody from that training because I don't know what they're learning. I want to know who's teaching them and like what makes them at a level to be leading a teacher training. Right, Yoga mm -hmm. is a deep lineage and you should have been teaching for at least a decade before you lead a teacher training. And like on a forest, for example, when I did my training, I'd been teaching for over three decades. Um and I think this sort of, this creates a challenge for us, right? Uh, and so I actually started my teacher training simply because I didn't want to hire anybody. I was like, I don't care about any of these teachers just because they're not at a level that I'm interested in. And they're not teaching stuff that I'm interested in them teaching. They're taught a set series of postures. They're taught not enough about how the body works first of all as a body worker that's huge a lot of people who come to me for injuries and stuff like that so the anatomy the the movement of the body and also the philosophy one of the things I admire about you so much in your training is that you're teaching the philosophy right um yeah well let's also I mean let's also stipulate here that and I know if you're a yoga teacher trainee out there this is going to sound completely insane <laughs> but 200 hours is not nearly long enough to teach you what either abby or i feel is necessary absolutely like it, it is just not enough time no it's kind of a joke and actually. I, know, <laughs> I know but i know that i know that sounds incredibly insane if you've like just gone through a yoga teacher training and you're like 
I couldn't possibly have learned more. <laughs> yeah, it's so much info. Well, and that's the thing yeah. is it's so much information, right? Yeah. And espe- I, Well, especially on the anatomy side, right? Yeah. Because you could literally spend 200 hours teaching anatomy and you Absolutely. probably still wouldn't teach enough of it. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's funny. I mean, you know, I went through traditional massage school. I'm a, I'm a licensed massage therapist technically. And even massage school anatomy training is not enough for people who are actually putting their hands on people's bodies. So, mm-hmm. you know, the... The level that you're taught in a yoga teacher training is is not enough to give really a lot of safety, which is one of the reasons that I think stuff like continuing education is so, so important. Not because you have to or because Yoga Alliance tells you that you have to, but because you personally want to actually know more, right, and be more uh, informed. Yeah, and that and this is why, at least in my own teacher trainings, why I insist on people practicing themselves so much yes because if you're just teaching warrior two because i've told you like here's how to teach warrior two um it doesn't really make much sense if you're doing warrior two though because you like the way that the stretch feels in your groin muscles and your leg Mm -hmm. and you like the way that you it helps you engage your hamstring and your glute muscles then teach it yeah right so if there's a in other words if there's a posture that doesn't make sense for your body don't teach it um and like you said earlier, sort of teaching from your own experience is the, is the way to be a teacher. Absolutely. Right? And you you can't do that if you're sort of just parroting what you've heard, um, which I think is, and I was talking with another yogi earlier today about this, this is sort of one of our pet peeves is when you go to yoga class and the person says something that's obviously just a cue they heard somewhere, right? Like the whole, you know, draw your shoulder blades down your back cue. (laughs) Just like really. (laughs) Yeah. It's almost like, what does that even mean? Like, What does that mean? You know, it's sort of of like, it's one of those things that you heard in a class somewhere and like, but you didn't hear it in just one class. You heard it in 10 classes. And so you're like, okay, that must be a thing. Yeah. You know, but like, if you actually just try to draw your shoulder blades down your back, it hurts. (laughs) Right. You need to know why and where and how. But like, if I told you to like, engage your lat muscles mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. yes i love that the lats. feels good mm-hmm. right <laughs> mm-hmm. absolutely so so yeah i mean it's it's anatomy is one of those things that if you're like it, it, it just needs to be it needs to be understood a lot more by teachers absolutely. and there's really only two ways to do it the, the first way is to actually practice on your own and, and figure out the muscles and bones and joints that you're using when you do your practice and the other way i would suggest is teaching other people learning other people's bodies is a great way to figure out how joints and muscles and bones work absolutely i completely agree i think that um the anatomy is is about looking right looking at your students and that goes all speaks also to what you said about cueing right is like First and foremost, again, I'm going to repeat what you said because it's so important that you must teach from your practice. If you are not practicing, you should not be teaching, period, end of story. Your teaching must come from your personal experience. Otherwise, it's going to be crappy. It's going to fall flat. It's going to feel inauthentic. And your students won't really care that much because you probably don't care that much, right? And then when you actually practice, you can feel stuff. That's the whole thing about yoga, right? The asana is like... What does it feel like? Is it working? Right. Try this push into your heel in Warrior 2 versus push into the ball of your foot. What does that feel like? Which one's harder? Do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, don't just do the pose the same way forever. Instead, like, explore, start to get really fascinated. And that's one of the things about this practice that I love so much, both teaching and practicing, is that it's infinite. There's literally s- nuance for miles and miles and miles the nuance will never end nor should it ever end right and hopefully if you're listening you can start to 
use this as a way to deepen your practice. And I think that if I could give anyone any advice about their yoga practice, it would be get fascinated by the nuance of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so would you have a daily yoga practice? Let's put it that way. Yes, I do. So and then you practice at home or you practice in your studio, like where you're just by yourself. Yeah, so I so my practice is not always asana. Sometimes it's laying over a bolster for 30 minutes. Sometimes it's yin. Sometimes it is an active sweaty practice. Sometimes it's just a meditation. Um, I practice by myself. I practice with friends. Uh, I practice, I do take group classes. I try to take at least one a week to keep myself kind of supported, right? Doing only self-practice can get kind of boring because then you're just in like an echo chamber. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to take other classes, um, get a little refreshed. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, that that's really my practice is whatever any, each day calls for. Is there anything else? Do you need to do any cross training, do any running, weightlifting, anything like that? Oh She's God, me no, that I don't. I don't do anything else. I don't do anything else. I do yoga. That's it. Yeah. So like, no, like, well, I, mean, I guess Forrest does include a lot of ab work. You, you kind of mm -hmm. know a lot about ab work anyway. Yeah. So I do every day. I do really specific abdominal and back exercises to integrate the different muscles of my core and my back and my hips so that everything's kind of working together. Um, and then I'll do some more traditional asana. I'll do, um, you know, some standing poses, some seated poses. I usually almost always do uh, like a yin kind of some stretching I'll like lay over a bolster and do pranayama. I always do pranayama every single day, even if it's just for a couple minutes. Now, when, well, here's uh, this is another topic that we, we haven't yet got it to get into the um, into our podcast yet. Pranayama. Yes. Where did you learn forest and forest? Forest yoga is one of the few styles that I've personally experienced where pranayama is incorporated into every single class that's separate from ujjayi. Right? So every class hopefully has some sort of breath-oriented movement, right? That's the vinyasa. But forest yoga has a specific pranayama practice at the beginning of every single class before you do anything else. Uh, and so I learned a lot, a lot about both pranayama and also kriyas. Um, cleansing practices for those of you listening who don't know what that means so different breathing practices different cleansing practices for the body and I do those every day different alternate nostril stuff I'll do the cl the cleansing abdominal work uh, mm -hmm. uh, Uddiyana Kriya Nelly Kriya um, so more of these like Hatha yoga practices yes yeah. yeah so sometimes my practice is just like a couple rounds of Nelly in the morning <laughs> yeah. and, you know well, I mean, that's what, I mean, that's, you know, if you're practicing what you're preaching, right? Yeah. Which is sort of um, what your body needs in that moment. Yeah, exactly. And because there's no point in doing warrior two every day if your body doesn't need it on that day. Hell yes. Or, or as one yogi, and I, I forgot who said it, says, just because I had a glass of orange juice yesterday doesn't mean that I need to have one today. <laughs> that's very, very good. Yeah. And it's interesting. I think one of the things that's helped me the most in my personal self-practice is giving myself permission for my yoga practice to be short. You know, sometimes my yoga practice is 30 minutes long and that's okay. Sometimes it's 90 minutes long and that's okay too. It doesn't make it better or worse, right? And giving myself that ability and that permission, which is so funny because of course that's what I give to my students, right? But so much harder to give to myself that permission than to my students. Gah! You know, one of mm -hmm. the weird two-sided edges of teaching yoga. Um, but giving myself permission to just whatever it is today, whatever it is. And, and especially when I, you know, when I'm feeling anxious, when I'm feeling stressed out, sitting for a minute or two or three and just being still and being with myself, doing a little bit of pranayama. And then when I have the energy or especially sometimes when I don't, 
doing a full 90 minute deep practice landing with my feet behind my head or whatever it is Mm -hmm. right and whatever the spectrum is as long as i just show up for myself sometime once a day that's the thing yeah Yeah. um any kind of uh so how what's your i guess this is a a couple layered question where do you usually go now to learn more about yoga like is it is it like reading new books? Is it like checking out websites? Is it listening to podcasts? Like how do you sort of where do you go for inspiration? You know, for your own practice, and then by extension, your teaching. Mostly trainings, honestly. Um, I do read some books. I I'm not much of a reader, honestly. I have a few like gold standards that I read again and again. Let's hear them. Uh, the sutras, obviously, I go back to again and again and again. Um, I just reread them forever, and that's pretty much it. I mean, there are a few other spiritual books that I go to, but I'm just looking through different copies of the sutras, seeing what turns me on. How what many do you have? Right now, I have three that I'm really looking through at I the have moment. Nine. Do you really shit? You put put <laughs> me to shame. Crap. Um, I also love Anatomy of the Spirit by Caroline Miss. That's a little more woo woo out there. That that's something that's helpful. It's a little more oriented around the chakra and the energetic system. That's stuff that interests me. But um, I'm fortunate enough again to have my own studio, so I just bring my teachers to me. I bring them here. They do trainings and workshops. I soak up all their amazing love, and then they leave, and I get to like st- sit in with whatever they yeah. gifted me. So I've been blessed enough to just be able to to hop into trainings and workshops. Yeah, it's amazing how teaching other instructors, um, uh, well, at least if you're if you're doing it well, in my opinion, how it allows you to reevaluate. Uh, the beliefs that are so firmly held in your mind. <laughs> oh God! Yes, right? because seriously. because because one of one of my uh, one of my favorite law school instructors he always said, if you ever if you ever start a sentence by saying clearly, it's probably not that clear, <laughs> right? or obviously. Mm-hmm. If it's so obvious, you don't need to say it, do you? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Um, but so I love the way that you can like that can be a way for you to revisit it in a fresh way, especially when students ask you questions about about the certain things. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And I, I like to sort of live by the the rule, be humble or be humbled. Yeah. Right? And so, like, take the time to be a student, take the time to uptake from whatever experience, right? And the thing, the real thing is that anything is a teacher. Anything can be a moment that pulls inspiration for you to teach from. Um, and that's really how I try and teach is actually from my day-to-day life. This is a thing I went through. This is how I dealt with it. This is what worked for me. Um, I'll give you a really quick example just to clarify. Like, so for example, I had a nightmare that really freaked me out. I woke up in the middle of the night and I was feeling really stressed out and anxious. I was sweating and I was like wide awake and I immediately went into, okay, what works? I tried to, my breath, breath was not enough. Okay. I'm still freaking out. What works? And then I went to mantra. And I pulled up one of my favorite mantras and I immediately changed my energy. And the mantra was be, I am calm, I am courageous. And it just shifted. And, it was, and then that's what I taught from. The next day I was like, last night I had a nightmare. I was freaking out. Let's do this mantra because this is what worked mm-hmm. for me. A little bhakti yoga. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love mantra. Yeah. Where did, so, uh, where, where would you, so you just learn mantras like from teachers? Where do you learn mm-hmm. mantras from? Where did yeah, you go all over that? the place, all over the place from different books, from different teachers. That particular mantra is actually, I'm going to get a little out there, is actually a mantra that helps to empower your Mars energy. My husband is a Vedic astrologer, an Indian astrologer. And so, uh, each planet has a mantra that you're, that helps you to engage with the, the, 
uh, the benefic, the auspicious energy of that planet. And so that's Mars mantra. That's fantastic. Yeah, I know. Very cool. It works for me. You know, <laughs> you know, that's the point, right? Whatever works, whatever works. Um, so, uh, yeah. So you have you talked about teacher training. Do you have another one on the books planned? Not as of the moment, but okay. I do intend to do another one. I'm actually in the process of uh, thinking about creating a 300 hour training, co-creating with another friend of mine who is a teacher. Um, I'm a little more interested at this particular moment in more continuing education and advanced teacher trainings, uh, helping people who did a 200 hour, which we both, you and I both agree, not enough. Right. So offering more workshops and more trainings for people who have already completed a 200 hour training and just feel like they need something to take their teaching to the next level. And so I'm really interested in teaching trainings on sequencing and anatomy and sort of the functional anatomy of the body. Also, like what it means to hold space as a yoga teacher, the energetics and the power dynamics and the business of yoga, all these different things that are sort of as both a business owner and someone who's done so many trainings and led a number of trainings that I think are sort of the big sweeping issues that are not getting addressed enough. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what I really want to do is start offering stuff for, for people to help deepen their teaching practice. So if uh, students want to uh, get in touch with you, they want to come by your studio, where are we going to go to? Yeah. So uh, you can check me out on my Instagram, uh, which don't laugh. My handle is Grateful Weirdo. And then the studio also has its own Instagram and own Facebook. You can check our website, kaliyogadc.com. Uh, we've got a lot of different styles of classes, different styles of teachers. Uh, yeah. So come find me. Come ask questions. Come get bodywork from me. Send people to me. Talk to me. Ask me questions. I, uh, my, Again, one of the reasons I opened a studio was to create a space for, for people to feel able to show up. Right? So come find me and I will help. I want to help. That's my goal. Yeah, no, you absolutely should. It's a, it's a wonderful place to, uh, to do yoga and if a uh, great place to uh, hang out before and after class and a uh, great energy there. Um, if you have any questions for me or for Abby or anything about yoga, uh, you can contact me at DC yoga podcast at gmail.com. Um, so hopefully uh, later on episodes, we'll be able to answer questions and, uh, uh, any feedback you have would also be appreciated. Uh, Abby, thanks uh, so much for coming by. It was wonderful to have you. Wonderful to see you as always. Thanks, Chris. I had a blast. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm.